Support for this podcast comes from San Francisco International Airport. At SFO, you can discover award-winning flavors and unique shops all before takeoff. Learn more about what's at SFO at flysfo.com. Hi there. I'm Randa Fattah from ThruLine. If you're listening to this podcast, you know that KQED produces exceptional storytelling that keeps you informed, inspired, and entertained. Their podcasts cover issues from your neighborhood to the entire country and everything in between. Support this work today. You can help us continue to bring quality podcasts to your ears. Just head to donate.kqed.org podcast. That's donate.kqed.org podcast. From KQED. All right. So we all know that the Bay Area has changed over the last 10 years. And it's, I think, easy to have surface-level conversations about why and how the region's changed. But there are also all these other stories about people here in the Bay Area who've felt that change, who stood up to it, or even been part of it themselves. The KQED Arts team focused on some of these challenges and victories in the Bay Area over the past decade. Everything from the arts. I feel bad for young people who want to open galleries now here. I don't see how it's possible. To climate change. I mean, San Francisco and Oakland were blanketed in smoke for days and days. Even to sports. It just felt like a new era. So today, the KQED Arts team is going to take a look back at some of the biggest moments this past decade that have helped shape the Bay Area. I'm Devin Kadiyama. Welcome to the Bay. In 2010, the San Francisco Giants won the World Series for the first time in 56 years. Struck him out! And for the first time since 1954, the Giants are world champions! In San Francisco going crazy and here in Arlington applauding. I'm Ray Alexandra. I'm the pop culture reporter for KQED Arts. I feel like there was very much an atmosphere of all of the Bay Area teams being underdogs uh, prior to that win. I feel like it was a good luck charm. You know, there was a long period of this losing streak for kind of all Bay Area teams. And then all of a sudden, the Warriors won three NBA championships. Kevin, he just can't stop smiling. The Sharks reached the Stanley Cup Finals for the first time ever. Great season for the St. Louis Blues has come to an end here in San Jose as they fall to the San Jose Sharks. The Giants won three, so um, it it was juxtaposed at a time when the Bay Area was having a boom, and it just felt like a new era. In 2011, Occupy Oakland happened. Through looking at Occupy Oakland, we get a sense of how protests were happening then, and then we take a look at how protests happened throughout the decade. I'm Pendarvis Harshaw, columnist and host of KQED's podcast and radio show, Right Nowish. So in looking at Occupy Oakland, you see a lot of the elements that are always present in protests. You know, people on the street taking action and voicing their concerns. Occupy the media! Occupy the media! Tell them if they want news! 
as well as you get the evolution of technology and people using smartphones to communicate. And you see that throughout the decade, looking at anything from Black Lives Matter to Standing Rock to Charlottesville, of people using hashtags in order to organize or people using uh, smartphones to really show what was happening on the ground and Occupy Oakland leveraged technology of the time. So even in looking at how the aspect of physically occupying space as a protest sort of dwindled throughout the decade, uh, fittingly, as we close out the decade, literally right now in the city of Oakland, you have Moms for Housing occupying a vacant house in protest of how unsheltered people are being treated in the city of Oakland. Housing is a human right! Housing is a human right! So Occupy Oakland really put in perspective how you can't just physically show up in a space. You need uh, multiple tiers of protest. You need to physically be present. You need to have legislative action. And you need to take actions online. And that's what we've seen throughout the decade. In 2012, San Francisco record label Empire logged multiple entries on the Billboard charts and started being recognized as a force in the music industry nationally. I mean, I really built the company to take care of barrier rap musicians who I grew up with. I'm Nastia Wojnowskaya. I am the music editor at KQD Arts, and I'm also the lead editor on the Our Turbulent Decade project. So locally, Empire has played a key role in the careers of artists like Rex Life Raj, Mozzie, and SOBRBE. And they've also worked with some pretty big national stars like Tyga, Fat Joe, and Remy Ma, and Kendrick Lamar. Fire burning inside my eyes. This the music that saved my life. Y'all be calling it hip hop. I be calling it hypnotized. Yeah, hypnotized. I think Empire's legacy is creating a place in the Bay Area so that its top musical talent, specifically in the rap and hip hop space, doesn't have to leave here and go to Los Angeles to have a career. Um, that's always been something that's been missing in the Bay Area music scene. And Empire is kind of this hub where. It's a record label that's very tapped into the major label system as well as the tech world. So it brings all of those things together. So in 2013, SF MoMA closed their doors for a nearly three-year expansion project. During that time, from 2013 to 2016, the Bay Area art scene changed dramatically. I feel bad for young people who want to open galleries now here. I don't see how it's possible. I am Sarah Hotchkiss. I'm the visual arts editor for KQED Arts. I talked to Catherine Clark, the owner and director of Catherine Clark Gallery, and she had to move her gallery from right next to SF MoMA to another neighborhood entirely. Symbolically, at the time that they were closed, it was really, really hard on the art scene here. I think there was this sense of, like, that there was nothing to come to San Francisco for. We saw the local economy really booming post-recession, but in a way that local galleries couldn't necessarily keep up with. So leases would come up for renewal, 
and people couldn't match market rates. So everyone was kind of scrambling for space. And a lot of galleries were forced either to relocate to different cities or into their owners' homes or to like leave the state entirely. And a lot of places closed down. Then in 2014, we saw more cutbacks, but now in the field of journalism. The Guardian was and is a civic treasure that needs to be treated like that. In 2014, the San Francisco Bay Guardian stopped publication after nearly 50 years of existence. It's particularly tragic when a paper like The Guardian closes, because The Guardian wasn't just a newspaper, and it wasn't just a business. The Guardian was part of the progressive community in San Francisco. Also, since then, you've seen things like the Bay Area News Group consolidating 11 papers down to six, down to two, and like ceasing to publish the Oakland Tribune, which was almost 150 years old. Uh, the mood of the newsroom is um, demoralization at this point, frankly. I mean, people today are saying goodbye to people they've worked with for a long time. It's sad and depressing. We've seen the East Bay Express go through all these rounds of layoffs and slow rehiring where we pretty much don't have an editorial staff there anymore. And what that means for the audience is that you have less outlets and less people who are trained as journalists holding the powerful to account. And in a city and a region like the Bay Area where we have so much wealth and all of these politicians who are courting that wealth and that power, we run out of watchdogs, and there's no one telling these stories. In 2015, rapper Equipto ran into San Francisco Mayor Adley at a restaurant, and he decided to confront him about his pro-tech company policies and the many evictions and examples of racist policing that had happened during his tenure as mayor. You know, the people that built this city, you're getting them all kicked out of here, man. That's some, that's some culture. You're a part of it, and I know you are, man. I know you're linked with my... So that confrontation with Edley really thrust Equipto in the spotlight, and it began to galvanize a movement. Then several more police killings happened at the hands of SFPD. Mario Woods, a stabbing identified the man as 45-year-old Luis Gongora. Officers shot Amilcar Perez Lopez in the Mission District. They're responding to a 911 report of a man running. After those trio of killings happened, Equipto and four other activists decided to stage a hunger strike that ended up bringing out thousands of demonstrators who protested for over two weeks. The so-called Frisco Five made it official Saturday. Their 17-day hunger strike was over. The group was admitted to UCSF Hospital. The Frisco Five played a really instrumental role in pushing pressure on the city and the San Francisco Police Department to truly take a look at themselves and try to reform. In 2016, the ghost ship warehouse fire in East Oakland killed 36 people. My name's Sam Lefebvre, and I'm the arts reporter for KQED. When it was over, the warehouse was reduced to rubble, with what could turn out to be dozens of people trapped inside. It also accelerated an ongoing trend of live-work and artist-friendly warehouses being displaced from Oakland. The tragedy in Oakland sparked a crackdown on similar spaces, with evictions reported in at least a half dozen cities. 
The night of the ghost ship warehouse fire, I was actually at another underground event in a warehouse in Oakland, and that was a space that has since been evicted. I heard about the fire almost as soon as it started from a number of panicked friends and also from people who were getting panicky messages um, at the same event that I was at. For the underground music and art scene in Oakland and the greater Bay Area, it was really just spiritually crushing. The fire had a profound effect on the way that city government and property owners in the region uh, approach these sort of what they call non-conforming uses of warehouse and similar spaces. In 2017, the Tubbs Fire broke out in Sonoma County and Santa Rosa, and it changed the way we think about fire and climate change. I'm Gabe Moline. I'm the senior editor for KQED Arts and Culture. So we've had wildfires in California before, but never this close to the city, never, you know, burning down hundreds and hundreds of houses like this. Neighborhoods and businesses have burned. Thousands of people are under mandatory evacuation orders from their homes, hotels, and hospitals. You know, even for cities that the fire didn't hit, I mean, San Francisco and Oakland were blanketed in smoke for days and days. The causes of these fires have all been failed PG&E equipment, actually. But um, they're made more likely, and they're definitely spread and accelerated much more quickly by factors that are directly linked with climate change. But one of the positive outcomes, if any, from this is that uh, everyone in the North Bay is a little more prepared now. When a fire starts, everyone knows what their role is, and they kind of step into action. There are people that have organizations that feed families that need food. There are people that rush directly to the shelters to staff the shelters. There are uh, artists who uh, have designed uh, comics that provide catharsis for people or uh, logos that raise a lot of money for fire relief. Even like a small instrument shop like this violin shop in Santa Rosa loans out violins to people who lost their violins in the fire. You know, there's just little small acts of community that um, are our new way of getting through this. In 2018, Bay Area filmmakers made films that so many people watched across the nation, which is a huge deal. I'm Ruth Gabriesus, and I'm a visual arts columnist at KQED. Prior to this point, I feel like Bay Area filmmakers had made a couple films that were screening nationally, but 2018 gave us four. Don't freeze. I never freeze. It started with Black Panther, which came out in February, and that was a huge, a global blockbuster. It features Oakland prominently. It was directed by an Oakland-born, Richmond-raised director, Ryan Coogler. It was an all-black cast, and it featured a very black story about belonging and identity. I'm just out here surviving. The next movie was Sorry to Bother You, which was a super Oakland story. 
by Boots Riley, written and directed. It was his debut uh, directorially. I you said you fixed that. Get a room. I got a room, mother. And it talks about labor and love and morals and money. And what is more Oakland than that? I'm a tough guy. The third film is Blind Spotting. I got three days left on this probation. When you got that gun on you, just don't tell me about it. Um, the fourth film is Jin by director Nigel Moomin. It featured a really sweet coming-of-age story of a young black girl who's trying to figure out who she is in the world. I introduced her to the truth. No, it is your truth, Jane. It is your truth. I think these films just have increased the possibility of filmmaking from Bay Area directors, but also because their stories are so unique and interesting. A lot of these films touched on unprecedented topics and presented them for wide release. And I think local filmmakers, as well as filmmakers across the nation, can look to them as far as what can be possible and what kind of stories can be told. Help workers survive! Help workers survive! So in September 2019, Governor Gavin Newsom signed into law Assembly Bill 5, which is also known as AB5. It's a law that basically reclassifies people who were formerly contractors, freelancers, as employees. I'm Chloe Veltman, and I cover arts and culture for KQED News. AB5 is basically a, a law that reclassifies many people who've previously been classified as freelancers or contractors into employees. So the reason why this story is important for the arts and culture industries in California is because the arts and culture industries are very dependent on freelance and independent contractor labor. And so this new law threatens to completely upend the way the industry does its business going forwards. So I spoke with Julie Baker, who's the executive director of Californians for the Arts, a statewide arts advocacy group. The arts industry is mostly run by nonprofit organizations with small budgets. They mostly operate on a seasonal performance exhibit or classroom model. So they generally don't fit into standard employment models. I mean, it could mean that uh, artists find it more difficult to get work. It could mean that some arts organizations end up going under small arts organizations in particular because they simply cannot afford to pay uh, employees. All right, that's the 2010s, y'all. We know that there's a lot more that happened during this last decade, so I want to throw it back to you. What's a news event that really defined the last 10 years for you? Was it something on this list or something else entirely? Let us know by tweeting at us. We're at the Bay KQED. Or you can send us an email. We are the Bay at KQED.org. Thanks to KQED Arts for producing this series. That's Nastia Voinovskaya, Sarah Hotchkiss, Ray Alexandra, Sam Lefebvre, Pendarvis Harshaw, Gabe Moline, Ruth Debrasius, and Chloe Veltman. We'll have a link to all their stories in our show notes. You can also find them at kqed.org slash our turbulent decade. This episode was produced by Erica Cruz Guevara, Marisol Medina Cadena, and our brand new editor, Alan Montecilio, who I'm sure you're going to hear from later. I'm Devin Kadiyama. That's it for The Bay. I'll talk to you next time. Hi, 
I'm Sasha Coca, host of the California Report magazine. Every week, we bring you stories about what connects us in the giant, diverse Golden State. Because what happens in California changes the world. I love this place. We were once seen as, like, the place to be California. The land of milk and honey, that's where you go to Sunshine State, but we just have challenges right now. KQED's California Report magazine. New episodes drop every Friday, wherever you get your podcasts. Hey there, this is Brittany Luce from NPR's It's Been a Minute. KQED's podcasts like The Bay, Bay Curious, Mind Shift, Right Nowish, and more all tell the stories of the Bay and beyond with reliable, human-centered journalism. They aim to inspire, make you think, entertain, and expand your understanding of the place you call home. Here's how you can support podcasting at KQED. Showing your support is easy, and you can join Brittany in supporting KQED Podcast too at donate.kqed.org slash podcast. That's donate.kqed.org slash podcast.